Warning. The following podcast may contain explicit language. It will certainly contain heterodoxy, political pandemonium, and graphic depictions of alcohol use. Listeners may rest assured that at the time of recording this episode, all participants had nowhere to drive. The Cocktail Party Congress encourages you to drink and think responsibly. In vino veritas. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? Welcome back to the Cocktail Party Congress. Oh my God, it's been too long. Ah, this is the only political discussion podcast with a three-drink minimum. I am Dan Caves. And I'm JT Andrews. Long time no speak, JT. Well, we, we, we've been talking for like the past hour, man. I, hey, don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> for all they know, we just like popped onto Skype and hit record on this. Yeah, uh, sure, sure we did. No, it's it's been it's been a long time since we had an episode of the Cocktail Party Congress out. It's very uh, much so. Yeah, yeah, we almost uh, we left you hanging there, listeners. You know, yeah, it's, uh, sorry, sorry. Oh, life gets busy, and you know, we weren't well, doing that great at you know regularity in the first place. So <laughs> we don't want to get your hopes up. What do you expect from a couple of drunks with a podcast? I mean, yeah, I blame the inebriation. I know, right? Um, yeah, so we just survived our our last bender. It's been a few months. Um, you know, a proper bender used to last for at least, what do you say would be the nascence of a real bender? Like four days minimum? I, I would say a solid, yeah, I'd say a four, four days. Mm. Like, I would say going into a three-day weekend. Yeah. Like that, that last night, mm-hmm. I think, is the beginning of it. So, so really three and a half days to... But yeah, four. Yeah, we'll I, four. I buy it. Um, yeah, so uh, we're, our podcasting skills are a little rusty, but uh, I do believe that we how's, have... How's this thing work? I know. Yeah, we have microphones, apparently. Um, oh, okay. Those microphones are transmitting noises into our computers. And uh, if we're lucky, we won't spill our featured cocktail into the computer. So, JT, why don't you tell us what we're drinking tonight? So, tonight's drink is... One of them, I would say it's in my top five cocktails, maybe top three favorite cocktails of all time. This is the Tom Collins, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, it's great when it's very hot out, uh, which it is right now. It's summertime. Uh, it's very warm. Um, so it's a cool, crisp, refreshing drink. Uh, to make this drink, what you're going to need, I, I shook mine. There's a, there's a number of different ways to, I suppose, put it together. But in a martini shaker or a uh, cocktail shaker, fill fill it with ice, and you're gonna. I my recipe is put two parts of gin, one part lemon juice, and one part simple syrup. You're gonna shake that up and pour it into a Collins glass or a, it's a, a tall glass like a water glass uh, that's also filled with ice. And then uh, top it off with a little bit of club soda and garnish with a lemon wedge. And uh, would you recommend any particular gin? 
because I would like to disrecommend one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so, I, <laughs> uh, there, you should make this with a a gin called Old Tom Gin. It tends to be yeah. a very sweet gin, so a very botanical gin, as opposed to a a London dry gin. Uh, I've made it with a London dry gin because I, I I like the flavor a little bit better, and I I balance it out a little bit more with the the simple syrup. Mm. You know, I would dispute that the Old Tom is more botanical because I, I I it's it's sweeter. It's not quite like maybe there are botanicals to it, but like it's not yeah. like a strong like so so, so I, I I bring that up because I made the terrible mistake of buying both an old tom gin which went into my first two drinks and then i just to try it out i got what i thought was going to be drier but uh it's it's a very flowery very floral very botanical gin and it's uh it's a uh, god awful jt I, I, I there's really no other way to put it um it, it is this is going to be a struggle to get down my gullet but uh wow i, I, I <laughs> This is it. This is one of our first cocktails that Dan hates. Yeah. Well, no, I love the well, Tom not Collins. The, not the cocktails, but I, maybe just the bad gin choice. Yeah, it was a, it was just a shoddy choice in gin. I love the Tom Collins, and I loved it with the old Tom. And it's just, it, it this kind of blows apart the flavor profile in a way that I don't really appreciate. Um, so play it wise, listeners. Get an old Tom. Get a London Dry. Stay away from the flowery botanical gins. Right. Uh, sa- save that for other drinks. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, with that yeah. said. <laughs> a good London try. Um, yeah. But this, this cocktail was chosen with a, uh, with a purpose. It sort of has to do with uh, the topic of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about uh, hoaxes, misinformation, and uh, general paranoia in, in this post-truth world that we seem to live in. Uh, I'm sure Orwell will make a, a guest appearance, or at least the go- ghost of Orwell. <laughs> um, uh, but this starts off with, uh, I'll start off with a little story for, courtesy of Wikipedia about the Tom Collins hoax of 1874. Yeah. So so this is this is from the Wikipedia article. In 1874, people in New York, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere in the United States would start a conversation with, have you seen Tom Collins? After the listener predictably reacts by explaining that they did not know a Tom Collins, the speaker would assert that Tom Collins was talking about the listener to others and that Tom Collins was just around the corner in a local bar or somewhere else nearby. The conversation about the non-existent Tom Collins was a was a proven hoax of exposure in the great Tom Collins hoax of 1874, as it became known. The speaker would encourage the listener to act foolishly by reacting to patent nonsense that the hoaxer deliberately presents as reality. In particular, the speaker desired the listener to become agitated at the idea of someone talking about them to others such that the listener would rush off to find the purportedly nearby Tom Collins. Let's see. Uh, the, Tom, the 1874 hoax quickly gained such notoriety that several 1874 music hall songs memorialized the event, copies of which are now in the U.S. Library of Congress. We should try to have it. Yeah, we should try to track one of those down and play it. Um, yeah. Maybe they'll play us in this uh, this episode. Yeah, we'll... <laughs> yeah, I love that. The, the I, Tom Collins hoax of 1874. Have you seen Tom Collins? It's like an 1870 who is John Galt kind of a, uh, I, I, kind I of a statement. I suggested earlier that we should get uh, t-shirts made that says, have you seen Tom Collins on them? 
I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, yeah, that was a pretty harmless hoax, I'd say. Uh, and and I, I didn't know what a proven ho- hoax of exposure was until tonight. Um, and that's one of my favorite things. It's just a, it's just a, a, a sting operation, a comedic sting operation to get somebody to act foolishly, um, which is just beautiful. It's yeah. it's. Hey, Tom Collins was talking smack about you. He's over in the bar next door. <laughs> yeah. You'll find him. Uh, oh, JT, have I um, have I ever introduced you to uh, the British comedian Chris Morris and uh, his his series Brass Eye? You have not. Okay, Bra- I'm, I'm interested. Siri, shut up. Uh, Bra- <laughs> 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 I just okay. So between between episodes, I switched to a Mac, and a, a Siri just activated because I must have made a noise that sounded like her name. Um, so anyway, so. Chris Morris is this, uh, like, famous British comedian who's... Uh, one of his big big things is that he he sort of pioneered the, the industry of comedic fake news. Uh, he, he had a series of news shows. Uh, On the Hour was the radio show. Um, the Day Today was another uh, uh, television successor to that. And Brass Eye is a send-up of sort of your... Um, your television journalists sort of like special shows like uh, th- they would do an episode on um, pedophilia and that was a big one um, and uh, something that he would do and and, and like a- another one on like uh, like drug policy and drugs and like the big problem that uh, certain drugs are in Great Britain and something that the show would do constantly is they would earnestly reach out to politicians, celebrities, other public figures uh, with absurd causes and absurd um, ideas. And these people would not get the joke and respond completely like like they fall for it and they just gullibly go along with it and would just go about saying ridiculous things. And it was like this, this entire sting operation. Like I remember in the drugs episode, uh, they made up a Czechoslovakian drug called cake and they got all of these public figures, including members of parliament to, um, to advocate for the eradication of cake, which is a made up drug. It's not made from plants. It's made from chemicals. That's like that's like the next line that gets you to stop thinking about, oh, cake is a made up drug to the point that one of the members of parliament, uh, David. uh, Oh, I don't want to get his name wrong, um, but uh, I'll have to look it up later Uh, to the point where this member of parliament who, who who was part of the show brought a question to prime minister's question time in a in a subsequent session of parliament to raise the issue of bringing up legislation to deal with the scourge of cake. It's, it's, it's just this, it's, 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 it's this thing of beauty. Um, this sounds a lot like the, uh, the petitioners going around to random American citizens asking them to uh, sign a petition to ban dihydrogen monoxide. Yes, that's, that's uh, just because, the right, yeah, that's just the it, type of it, thing. It, it's, <laughs> our children are exposed to this substance every single day. It's it's in everything from uh, cleaning supplies to ice cream. And <laughs> we, we just want to do away with it and dihydrogen monoxide being water. Yes. Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are... We're not smart. Even the smart ones of us are like really good at the problem is 
smart people are really good at defending ideas that they came to for non-smart reasons. I think Michael Shermer has said uh, said basically that. Um, so yeah, but Brass Eye and uh, Chris Morris and the Day Today and all that, the pioneer of fake news, may I say? Yeah, the, the uh, like real sort of, like real fake news. <laughs> yeah, there there are also uh, instances in America where where this has happened. I can't remember the name. It was either the senator or the congressman that was outraged at uh, this article. That was <laughs> it was an Onion article. About how uh, they were opening up a, uh, they called it the abortiplex, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> where abortions would be carried out, uh, you know, on a scale of hundreds, and mm-hmm. it would be in like a carnival-like atmosphere, and whatnot. And he was outraged by this article and wanted to actually get legislation passed to stop it. Yeah, <laughs> and not realizing that it it was fake, it was satire. Yeah, it, it was like legitimately satire. Yeah, uh, oh, you know that. Now that we're talking about it, I mean, yeah, we're going to be talking about hoaxes. We're going to be talking about fake news. We're going to be talking about all that tonight. I think we could probably like break these into three different categories: satire, as you said, which is fake news for the sake of entertainment. Um, so, Brass Eye, The Onion, those sorts of things would fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your malicious fake news. Stuff like, I mean, stuff that's disguised as satire. No, like in, in the in the, like the fine like the fine print they say it's satire, but they present it as actually being real. Oh no, I was talking about shit like the protocols of the elders of Zion, like malicious, ah, like okay. like malicious hoaxes, like like this is designed with a malicious intent behind it. And then I think that the third category uh, would be whistleblowing, which is sort of like a um, it, it's that it, it's the proven hoax of exposure, but not for entertainment value. It's it, it's just sort of like like shine the light on some palpable bullshit that's going on, but um, that really needs something, some sort of absurd hoax to uh, to blow the lid off of it. So like I don't know, maybe you have some ideas, maybe you have other categories, but I think those are the three big ones: your your satire, your malice, and your whistleblowing. I'm tempted to agree with you there. Um, well, thanks. You. <laughs> like, uh, one of the things that I, I, I've noticed a lot uh, with uh, sort of memes that get carried away on Facebook, uh, yeah. I see this a lot more common on, on, on the le- or on the right wing side of things than the left wing side of things. Uh, but people will share a lot of these memes. But if you trace them back to their source in the very fine print, it says that, Hey, we're, we're a satire quote unquote. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Website. This is not meant to be taken seriously, but the people that share this take it as fact. Well, that uh, they, they, they don't look into it. They don't do the, the actual research, which is just a five minute Google search. No, well, um, no, but, but based on what you just said, the research would be scrolling to the bottom of the screen. I mean, that's just like I think what you just described is satire that's just like lost on its on its consumer. Um, you would think I've noticed this a lot more on, on right wing websites. They want to get across a point. Yeah. Uh, to rile up. Uh, the the more extremist right wingers, uh, and these sites don't explicitly. Will, they will not explicitly say that they are 
are uh, satire. They actually ah. bury this in the fine print. Oh. So they are purposely manufacturing these these hoaxes uh, to to get across. And I mean, th- this this is yeah. a similar yeah. strategy that the, the the Russian troll farms used in the 2016 election was uh, uh, to sway public opinion or to rile up fear or to rile up support. Uh, these so-called satire websites would that would manufacture these these memes and these uh uh statistics with absolutely no citations involved in them uh just to to elicit a response from the people i don't mean to cross-examine you on this but uh would it be fair to say that there's no fine print when it comes to uh uh the russian you know internet research agency uh political troll right. like like that was it's- that with, with the Russians, yes, that falls that, that so. falls squarely, I think, into um, the the malicious category. I mean, like, if there's fine print, uh, maybe this is overly legalistic of me, but if there's fine print that decla- even if it's buried at the bottom in the smallest of possible prints, eh, it's still there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of there. on. It's you can't kind of, say it's not there. It's kind of on us. I, it, it's on us to catch some of this shit, um, especially. Especially the satirical stuff, and also I think to a certain extent the uh, the whistleblowing stuff, because I mean, like that gets into Poe's law, where something is so obs- where it, so Poe's law. If nobody's, uh, are, are you familiar with that one? I am not particularly familiar. Okay, I'm not a legal expert. Well, I am no. not a lawyer. <laughs> no, this is an internet thing. This is uh, Poe's law is the idea that uh, at a certain point, a statement of extremism and a parody become indistinguishable. Mm, yeah. Okay. And it's something that occurs on the internet where, where, and, and that's something you catch when someone is pushing an idea to an absurd point to the, with the goal of highlighting the absurdity of it for satirical value, but it could very easily be mistaken for, for like an earnest expression of an extreme opinion um, that like, that I think it's on us to catch the malicious stuff like the, like what happened in Russia um, in this past election. That's a little trickier, I think, because it, it the goal is to deceive. And so uh, like I, I could, I could wag my finger for all I want to, uh, to the American populace and to anybody who fell for it, but you know, it, it was designed to be fallen for. And, um, it was. you know, it, and it, it, yeah, it, yeah. I think they did. I feel like the Russians did a very, it, it was a very effective way of, of swaying an election because they didn't even need to tamper with votes. They didn't need no, to waste the, their no. resources or the energy. They just needed to uh, spread disinformation or misinformation. They just had to fuck with their heads. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's really all, all you got to do. do. Um, and there's no law against fucking with our heads. Yeah, there isn't. And, and, <laughs> Honestly, in America, should there be? Uh, like, yeah, that's a good question because I mean that because it, it pushes all kinds of the the constitutional boundaries of, of free speech in our, in our country and freedom of expression and uh, uh, just ha- almost having a laugh. I, I know Britain yeah. is going through this problem right now where they are uh, they ended up banning a lot of uh, or of politically incorrect speech as, as they, they deemed like the government deemed. And a lot of the, the comedians 
very liberal comedians mm-hmm. are up in arms about this, saying, how, how dare you do this? Like, this is part of what makes us free. This is part of what makes a, uh, makes the satire process work. Yeah, yeah. Is, is this idea of being uh, edgy or uh, not in the mainstream. Mm. Yeah. Um, now that... As far as what we can do with a do about, um, I don't know. Are we going to keep using the term fake news? I'm not sure what what other term we're going to use. Uh, yeah, that, I, like, I feel like we have to define the fake news. Yeah, but like, but like j- j- just to... I, I, I would define the fake news okay. as falling into like the malicious category. Yeah, like something yeah. something with an agenda. Well, and then like that's... Okay. yeah, yeah, I, I th- deliberately I think that's misleading fair. for the purposes of satisfying an agenda. Yeah, is what I, w- I would call the the quote unquote fake news. Yeah, um, and, and that um, before I go back to my previous point that I was about to wrap up, um, that that gets into the, the, there's another trichotomy. Um, but that, that, Hey, Hey man, I'm learning some words. <laughs> um, when you're talking about propaganda, there are three categories that I think sort of like, they don't correlate perfectly with what I brought up earlier, but, um, what you just described is something called like black propaganda. Black propaganda is something that purports to be from a certain source, but is not with an agenda to sway you one way or another. Um, white propaganda is the kind of stuff that, uh, it tells you where it's coming from and it just sort of leaves it like you're going to, you're, you're going to accept or reject this on its merits. Great propaganda kind of in the middle. And then the black propaganda is kind of what the Russians were doing, um, by using and okay. Saying back into the point, um, by using very effectively tools like Facebook, Twitter, um, and, um, all these social media platforms that have come up, um, since the dawn of the internet. And, uh, in dealing with that, I think that the solution is probably going to be non-legal. It's going to be something in that private sphere. Um, you know, there's always a debate over, oh, uh, Facebook can do whatever it wants because it's a private corporation. To a certain extent, that's kind of true at the moment. And what they are doing, um, like if you want to, since that election, they have instituted policies that if you want to run political ads, uh, you have to verify your identity and you have to go through extra steps to, to, to make sure that you are, in fact, who you say you are that you are not in violation of any election laws, that you are not a foreign agitator pretending to be something else. Um, you know, that's a start, maybe. Right. You know. Um, I've actually le- learned something I've recently uh, come across uh, instances of happening. Uh, when the government, like a govern- government official, has a Facebook page, mm-hmm. they, they tend to have two Facebook pages. They have like their private one and then they have their the one that's public. Like yeah. the uh the public job, like, hey, this is Congressman so and so. Yeah. Uh and that's the official pa- Facebook page that deals with official business. Now, there have been instances where government officials, this is more so on the state and local levels, but the mm-hmm. government officials that have their official Facebook pages have been deleting some of the comments and whatnot uh, that, that are not like malicious comments, but deleting comments that just dis- respectfully disagreed with them. Yeah. And they've been getting yeah. into a lot of trouble because, hey, you're, you're infringing on sort of the first amendment rights of the citizens to uh, to address their government for for grievances yeah and saying hey i disagree with you here's why um and then they just just dis- they 
would delete the post and end up end up getting sued. Hmm. Now, if that had occurred on their private Facebook page, there there would be nothing uh, to be said. Like that that's their private page. That is them as a person, as opposed to them as the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is an important distinction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. I think that's that. In all honesty, that's sort of the way it should be. Um, yeah, I, if if the government told me that I had to to post certain viewpoints on a on on my Facebook, I I would probably tell them to go get bent. Uh, yeah, R- quite rightly, I think. Harumph. Right. Harumph. 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 Yep. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that also raises a an issue. Considering the kind of bullshit that we can get away with promulgating on social media, um, Twitter, Facebook, and all that, when we start to treat those as official communications, we're getting into a weird territory. I mean, Twitter should not be... I, I mean, uh, it is, but Twitter, I, I, it, it, it shouldn't be an official source of policy. But it is. And, yeah, it, and, and, and when we have a president who's just going to rip rip one at 4 a.m. God knows what he's actually like thinking about and whether he's looked into any of it. Right. And, and that, like that, that's, that's where we, that's where we need that sort of distinction between uh, private and public uh, social media accounts. Right. Um, you have, and pe- people need to understand what is what if, for example, the president tweets out on the, the president of the United States official Twitter account, about how you know he wants to enact some sort of policy or a change of policy that would actually be a legitimate change of policy that would be a statement of public policy as opposed to his private account which it's you may not like it but it's he's perfectly allowed to do it unless Twitter thinks it violates their terms of service right but hey that you know that raises another issue um, they don't enforce the terms of service yeah. against the likes of this president. I mean, they're, they I mean, he's, I, I know he's well experienced in breaching contracts left and right, but he gets away with this one a little too easily because the, because of the Twitter bosses have essentially come to the conclusion that any ridiculous nonsense that comes out of his thumbs is newsworthy and that you cannot hold someone who's that newsworthy to the same standards of an, of a citizen. And that just w- w- rips open the gate to just the, pro- the proliferation of utter bullshit nonsense for lack of a, for, I, I, for lack of a better term. It's just, it, 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 and if I could just step on my soapbox for a little, <laughs> By all means, uh, it remain seated. You, there's it, no need for a so, an actual soapbox. Well, when we're at this point of disrespect for the institution and disrespect for decorum and for the proper functioning of government, it just further sullies the dignity of the office to just let any any president who wants to get into who wants to log into Twitter and just say whatever the hell's on his mind his or her mind it like it it just it, it just cheapens the entire enterprise that much more to say that 
you know, anything that the president says on Twitter is as newsworthy enough. I mean, it, it just it it just it burns my bridges. <laughs> For, like it, I'm like I, I'm actually losing steam through this ramp because it's just so depressing. And it really is. Yeah, and yeah, like and just knowing that. This is the kind of thing that we would be clapping for if it were a sane and respectable and relatable president. But it's the kind of thing that you don't want to have on the books because it could always end up in the hands of a madman. And like you always have to think ahead to the next mad to the next mad president when you think you're breaking useful ground for yourself. It's something that happens with actual power, and it's something that happens with imaginary power, like that that we exercise on social media. Always think ahead to how the worst of possible candidates would use this, and then think again about whether you want to get this on the books. It's it just... It, right. Yeah. Like, if, if, if President Obama was the kind who was going on Twitter and, like, like somebody really social media savvy and somebody who that people like really did respect and really did like want to hear from. This would be the kind of thing that we would be like, like jerking ourselves off over like mercilessly. It's like, <laughs> like let's not, let's not delude ourselves to think that like half the planet would love for president Obama to like start a podcast. <laughs> but if, but if in January, 2020, this president were to do the same, the world would brightly like have a friggin' like conniption fed. And it's just, just be careful about where we're going. I, I, I honestly think that the president should be held to a, a kind of a, uh, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, a Luddite, sort of a way of doing business. I think that they should have ripped the phone out of his hands on January 20th, 2017. One and like, and like, I, like smashed it with a hammer. And then one of the things I loved about, uh, <laughs> so my mother Please. said this about Donald Trump. She's just like, <laughs> we were talking to him one day and she's just like, I am. She's like, I am surprised that, that Melania hasn't taken his phone away from him. Yeah. No. By the way, <laughs> I'm I, just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised too. Yeah. 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 And, and like some, some, like the chief, like, like, like John Kelly on the way out didn't like throw it in the Potomac. By the way, <laughs> my golf checker is packed up for the summer, but I did just take note that you spoke his name. So that's going on. Yeah. We're, we're into the 20 somethings. Having Ben on last season was uh, really like, that. like he, he, <laughs> It was, it was, it was like Blackadder saying Macbeth over and over again. Right. Yeah. It's just it, like this is it. Yeah. Just. Yeah. The Scottish play. <laughs> the president of the United States is equated with the Scottish play. Yeah. This is but, where we are, people. Anyway. Um, out of curiosity, I wonder if yeah. Bar if Barack Obama happens to listen to this podcast, which he probably doesn't. <laughs> We'd love you to have you on the show. No, <laughs> oh, my God, JT. <laughs> now, that is some, some weapons-grade optimism. <laughs> I would say just realism, because I know he doesn't. <laughs> oh, obviously not. I mean... <laughs> We've got like we probably have like five friends who actually listen to this. But there are dozens of us. Dozens. Yeah. 
I mean, if either met either of us, shoot us an email at cocktailpartycongress at gmail.com and just let us know because we're like we're fascinated to know the type of person who we would who we'd really love to hear from our listeners. And like, we, I think the one email that we got, we read. Like, we, we, we <laughs> hey, we love to read don't. emails on, on on the show. You don't you don't cop to getting what anyway. Um, no, but like I'm like it, e- email us and I'll e- email you back to just say. Why? <laughs> no, no. I'm more like why. You know this. Um, this botanical gin is growing on me a little more as oh. it uh, melts down. I'll just say that. Well, much. well, I've learned something through my my days of wine tasting. Is after the fifth winery and the fifth wine tasting, all the wine starts tasting the same. <laughs> it's grapes. <laughs> <laughs> it's grape. It's rotten grapes, and it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Um. So we have a president who is at least advancing, if not innovating, a culture of bullshit. And there is a distinction between lying and bullshit. A liar knows that he or she is being deliberately deceptive. They need to know the truth in order to lie about it. But a bullshitter... It's just a stream of consciousness, kind of a like nothing is true. You, you, you're living in right. a world where nothing is true, and, and anything that comes out of your mouth that needs to be true for the moment is true. I, I've found that I found it very difficult to to argue with uh, a lot of the supporters of our current president because whenever you you point out sources and you point out statistics, they dismiss it as being fake without any evidence mm-hmm. and when they cite evidence it is just another news source saying this is fake without giving evidence right so effectively like it's a net zero in terms of evidence yeah um which is it, it, it's incredibly important like I, th- I think it was hitchens razor which is that which can be proven without evidence can be dismissed without evidence mm-hmm. just as quickly um yeah that's fair and I find it frustrating because when you point out like a lot of the the objective fact check checkers like uh, people like Snopes who are actually really good at at checking their facts, mm. they dismiss them as like left wing propagandists, and it's like yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah you, you just can't argue with that. Like the actual uh, the definition of argument. You know the the old Aristotle logos pathos ethos. You mm-hmm. just can't you can't argue with the illogical. Well, it's using all logic using logical means. It's all pathos and ethos, mostly pathos, mostly pathos, but also the ethos because they know the audience that they're addressing. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I would say the uh, the the pathos is like the, yeah they know the audience they're addressing. They know how to rile up the yeah. uh, the base. Yeah. Which, which the, our president is very good at doing is he's very good at uh, getting his base support. But when it comes into bringing in the moderates, I'm not so sure. Well, no, no. You're talking about bringing in the moderates? Yeah, the moderates are have like seem to have gone the way of the wayside. What the hell are you talking? Like, I, not, not to like, not, not, not to like accuse you on the spot, but like, what the fuck are you talking about? This president, like, has he ever tried to bring in the moderates? No, 
No, I don't think no, he ever has. No, absolutely not. Because he, no. no, no, he, he, he knows he can't. No, no, he knows he can't. He knows he doesn't have to. No, it's not that he can't. He knows that he doesn't have to. Because he knows that he can, if he can rile enough people up with rank emotionalism, which is pathos run amok, it, it, it doesn't matter. He, he doesn't need to bring the moderates along. He will no. bring along enough people just based on what feels like it's true at the moment. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, uh, people are say say he, they're glad he speaks his mind. In right. all honesty, I'm kind of glad he speaks his mind too, because all of this is now out in the open. Yeah, like it, it's well. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we know the, the the odious nature of where where this current president stands. Yeah. Um, now, now that kind of brings me back to a point I was thinking about just a moment ago. Um, so we have what we have. And we should feel lucky that we have what we have to a certain extent because we have a, based on the definitions that I just gave, we have a bullshitter in the office. A liar would be something a little more dangerous. Someone who knows that there is a worldview that needs to be true for the sake of power and that the facts can change to support that at any given moment. Like, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but, um, you know. These, once again, these are all symptoms of uh, pointing to that we are living in the post-truth world that George Orwell so feared, Hmm. um, where the, the facts are irrelevant. Well, he, he, he didn't the discussion. It's all about, it's all yeah. about the uh, what will advance the agenda. He he didn't um, so much fear it as he witnessed it in the Soviet Union. I mean, he, he did witness it in 1984. Uh, he wrote to the to, to sort of like the absurd extreme of how it could go, where you're literally like once someone has been vaporized as an unperson, you're going to go back into the newspapers and like if they won a chess tournament. Somebody else, for the purposes of anyone who bothers to do the research, had won that chess tournament because the prior winner no longer exists. Like that—that—that's sort of a crazy level. But like, this is this is something that we've seen before, where reality is feng shuied for the party's sake, you know? Right for the for the purposes of advancing an agenda. Um, you see this twisting of facts, which. Um, the facts are there. The fact to me, the facts at this point in the game are still concrete, mm. but it's those interpretations of the facts and the spinning of those mm. facts is, is where we get. But what we're starting to see is that the facts suddenly become irrelevant. If the facts contradict what you're trying to say, they are suddenly made up Yeah, that the facts don't exist. And that that's, we're starting to see it. And to me, that's, that's, terrifying that's Mm. honestly terrifying that the objective facts are no longer relevant in in the issue of uh uh, i would say objective reasoning at least in the public discourse i think that's true i'm not i'm not that hopeless about it because i think there are still some realms where the fire still burns I would and, say yes, and there's still. Um, that's why I say we're starting yeah. to see it. We're not. We're, yeah. we're not 
over the edge beyond uh, beyond recovery yet. We still have the bastions of of free speech and of rational thought, mm. and of just seeing like a a logical process at work where it really does matter that you are that you are forwarding a. I mean, I, I, I in in the time that I've spent just studying and experiencing the legal system. I want to go back to a previous episode, one of the first ones where we discussed, um, I I think, uh, I forget the episode, but uh, one of the things that I mentioned was whether we need to start worrying about, we should should really begin to worry once we start worrying about who, which president appointed our district judges, like the the trial level federal judges. Those, those, Those people are really just doing their jobs right now. I feel absolutely comfortable in that. And that they are still playing out at at, at least the trial level um, in the legal system. It is still a a safe house for reason and for reality. And you need to still be interfacing with what's really out there to get anywhere in the legal system to to a certain extent. Um, And especially at that lowest level. I think, like, I, I, I feel like, I, I, I feel reaffirmed in that. Like, I, I, I want to go back to the, to, to the me who worried about that a year or so ago, and just say, yeah, no, no, don't worry about it too much, you know. Yeah, and keep it in safe. The lower levels, yeah, and, and keep it safe. Keep, keep your eye on it. Keep, make sure to hold the system to its own standards. And I think that that's something that we as citizens are losing the, the ability and the will and to a certain extent, the, um, the capability, like the, the actual means are being taken away from us more and more to do that in the public sphere, to hold the public conversation accountable to reality. It's harder and harder to do that. So wherever we can, wherever we possibly can, in the humanities, in law, in philosophy, in the social sciences, in the hard sciences, we need to be extra cognizant of the vulnerability of those fields to post-truth and to truthlessness and to consciously guard them against Bullshit. <laughs> like, here, I, here. I can't. Dr- thank you. I mean, like, like I and, and, and I wish I had a better word to use here, but it really is just I, I, I a, think a proliferation the, the word, of bullshit. <laughs> the word itself, I think, is irrelevant. What's more relevant is the def how we define the word, which we defined bullshit earlier. We mm-hmm. defined fake news. Yeah. Uh, Define and, your terms. I think that's the first step right. of most conversations that we don't go through. At least when it comes to actually describe the the actual descriptions and the uh, what we're using in terms of argument, Mm -hmm. I think would be important. But defining your terms. So, yeah. uh, Yeah, I'll drink to that. Here, here. Yeah. Boy. So much good thoughts going on right now. I like it. It's been too long. We're we're sort of pent up. yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, it's been like you've been away at law school. I've been working hard. Yeah. And uh, we still find it 
find a time for enough time for a quiet drink every now and then. We but. do. We do. Um, I, th- I think I think summertime is a good time for for recording these episodes. It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So let's see. Anything else you wanted to talk about tonight, JT? I know that. Uh, I mean, this is a kind of, um, this is kind of a heavy topic. I mean, it's it really yeah. is a heavy topic, we're, and there's a lot to discuss. We're living in the thick um, of it. I, th- I mean, I think we we we've really skimmed the surface of this. We've gone pretty deep, like pretty deep. For, for just 45 minutes in what 40 45 minutes in yeah, yeah. Um, but I, th- I think our listeners should understand that verify where the facts are coming from yeah take a look at what are the actual facts and if you have an opportunity like with some sort of event that has a potential to be historical go to these events mm-hmm. you know to, you know just even if you're not participating, at least keep an objective eye. Look around and uh, take it all in. Understand that what what's happening could be a, a moment in in history, a, a page in the history books, mm. and uh, witness what's happening for yourself. And then afterwards, take a look at how the media portrays it, how it's done, or how it's portrayed on social media, as well as uh, our current. 24-hour news cycle, which take that with a grain of salt, and then our our, mm. our print media, yeah, which I think has a tendency to be a little bit more objective than our. Uh, I would, I'm tempted to say that 24-hour news networks aren't even really new. They they aren't even really news. They're more entertainment. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, it's been too long since I've actually watched one. Um, it's, yeah, well, it, it, I mean, the format doesn't really lend itself to, um, the deep thought because you have no, at doesn't. most, like, let's say you have a seven minute segment where you have five people expected to give opinions on maybe four or five different discrete topics that are occurring in the news. You're going to have a tops of like 30 seconds to get your point across on any given issue. It's it's exactly like, you know, we just had the first two Democratic debates um, for the primaries the other day um, last week. And it's just 30 minutes, like 30 seconds. I'm sorry. Yeah. 30 seconds. Um, just sound bites. You know, that's the that's the term. But um, is it yeah. too much to ask for nuance in our candidates? Uh, yes. Like- uh, it, I'm sorry. It I'm seems sorry like to say, it. but yeah, it certainly seems like it. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I I think we do need that ne- that nuance. We shouldn't have to deal with with absolutes. Uh, people come up and say, like, what was the question that it, they were posed? Uh, oh, like, what's your red line with with Iran? Like, at what point do you think uh, military action would be justified? And it's like you can't tell that right now. Like, <laughs> there, there's there are way too many factors to give a yes or no response. Like what's the red line? I mean, come on. It, it, you have to understand that, especially with foreign policy, there is a lot of nuance that goes on because foreign policy is this, it's a really big, broad area uh, where there's really like, it's not like domestic policy, which is limited by, the powers that be in the constitution foreign policy is sort of left up to the government. Like there's, there's to the executive. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It left yeah. up to the executive. Yeah. So it's wide latitude. Yeah. 
yeah, there's there's a lot that can go on. And I think that we need a president and just leaders in general that understand that nuance is a great thing that we need the we don't we shouldn't deal with absolutes in that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, that just got me thinking. In 2016, we had an insurgent candidate who is now president who, in talking about the corruption in our system, basically won by saying, yeah, the system's corrupt. I'm corrupt. I help corrupt the system. It's corrupt. I know how it's corrupt, and I can fix it, and I can show you how to make it work for you. What if we had a Democratic candidate who kind of did what you just did, who had the gall to say in the face of... Uh, uh, nuance. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You're giving me 30 seconds to talk about this. This is way too complicated for this. Like somebody actually says that at a debate. I, like, I what, would what, love it. What would the really? But they, but they're all gutless. <laughs> Nobody's actually going to say it. They're all the, they're all just going to bullshit. They're they're bullshitters. They're consummate they, bullshitters. They're not. They're either <laughs> they're either gutless or they're not called on. Yeah, which yeah. I, I don't care what you say about the man, but uh, Delaney during during the Democratic <laughs> deba debates, I felt so bad for him. Yeah, like, was, he, he's just sitting there in the end, this short, gaunt little man, and he's trying to make his point. And pretty much the entire time, as soon as he opens his mouth, they're just like, uh, shut up. We're listening to these people who are giving us a lot of ratings. Yeah. When, when he's like, you know what? What's the point of having a debate if you're not going to let him debate? Like. Yeah, when he did get a chance to speak, he he, I didn't like it, but yeah. I, I did I did get angry. I, I was yelling at the uh, at the screen when it came. Uh, they were just wrapping up the um, the immigration debate, and uh, he was trying to butt in with like a root cause analysis of what's going on in the countries from where the people are coming, and it's like. No, let him talk about that. That might actually do something about the problem. Like, if there is a problem of people, you know, coming to the country and trying to get in through, um, th through like, non-legal processes, like, maybe doing something about the terrible conditions in their countries would maybe fix the problem. But, like... No, no, we're moving on. You're, you, 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 what was the, uh, what was the quote of the night? Um, I'm sorry, your time is up. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Your time is up. Yeah. And like, or we'll get to you, Mr. Delaney. We will, we will get to you. We, we will, will get, get to you. you. And then, yeah, they completely <laughs> ignore him, which I'm, I'm not that big of a fan of, of, of Mr. Delaney at all, but I didn't even know who the fuck he, he was for that. Until that <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty much the same way. I'm like, I'm not really getting what you're saying. I'm not really liking a lot of what you're saying. But you're up there, and you should be allowed to speak. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> wow. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the Democratic Party isn't really doing anything great on this front either. No. I, well, the Democratic Party right now is going through the same thing that the Republican Party went through about 2008, I'd say, uh, with, the, with the Tea Party. But you had like the establishment, and the anti-establishment Republicans, and they fought it out. Mm -hmm. And they're still sort of fighting it out. Uh, but right now, the Democratic Party is going through the same thing. You have the establishment Democrats, and then you have the more progressive wings of the party. And right now they're sort of fighting it out for dominance over the party and we'll we'll see where it goes yeah beware democrats because when you're in this sort of situation it leaves an opening for whatever kind of crazy is lurking in your in the wings of your party 
we like the Repu- I just said we for the Republicans. The Republicans went through this years ago. Yeah, just as you said, it's going to happen to you too. Don't think yeah. it can't. Don't think it can't. Don't think that some fucking crazy person. Maybe this. Uh, uh, who was? Uh, who was the woman who was? Uh, Williamson. Like, like the Marianne Williamson with Crystal. Yeah, Marianne Williamson. Crystals and prayers and like, oh man. I don't know if that's like what's lurking in the Democratic Party. Like that kind of like kind of new age kind of. It it depends on how much money that the Republicans are going to (laughs) dump into their campaign. (laughs) They need to. They need to keep her in. But like that's that's like harmless, kooky, kind of woo woo, crazy. But we're we're talking the malicious yeah. type of crazy. Yeah. What kind of yeah. What sort of like malicious the, the pop the populist, I would say. The the populist that wants power and sees a way to get it through extorting the uh the populist mentality at mm. the time and getting into office and then exercising a completely self centered agenda. That like the Democrats are not immune to this. The Republicans went through this. And if and if that isn't a lesson, be aware. If that isn't a lesson to the citizen and to the candidate and to the party, be aware of your own bullshit. You are not immune. I am not immune to bullshit. I am so full of it sometimes. <laughs> but it takes it takes it takes effort to be able to catch when you might be drifting down that road and taking a step back and just self-assessing to see what's actually behind this. I think that that's something that citizens need to take responsibility for. Fault and responsibility are two very separate concepts, and I think that whenever, like when we're talking about the whole Russia 2016 election thing, um... We sort of conflate the two ideas that it's your fault for having fallen for Russian uh, black propaganda uh, in the election. I mean, maybe, but don't worry about that. It's your maybe it isn't your fault that you fell for it because it is designed to have been fallen for. But it is your responsibility to take heed of it and to be more responsible in how you consume information and like early on in the show, like when we first started this, we talked hard about the responsibility that we all have to take on as citizens. And when we're talking about hoaxes in politics and fake news and keeping track of your own tribe's bullshit, this is this is what we're talking about. You have to make sure that you are not going to you have to take responsibility for not falling for it so that the next catastrophe to befall the White House isn't your fault. <laughs> right. This sort of reminds me of like an old joke. It's when Please. you look at somebody and say, I, I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was going to blame you. <laughs> Ow. I think that joke oh, perfectly separates the ideas of responsibility <laughs> and, and, and fault. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I did, however, cough some lem- some lemon juice into my <laughs> into my mucous membranes, and I'm not appreciating it. <laughs> oh, 
Well, you know, oh. we could go on for hours and hours on this, JT, but, you know, it's... Uh, oh, God damn it. I thought we were yeah. done with this Illuminati bullcrap. They found us again. That's the noise. That's what tells you that it is that it is time for the moment of clarity. It's been it's been a nice talk, JT. You know, it has been a nice talk. Yeah. Um, let's see our our intro music, of course, provided by Kevin McLeod. Yeah. Uh, more of royalty free music available at incompetech.com. Yeah. And the uh, and the track name again is Darkseid Land. Just uh, just to give full credit to that. Um, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Kev. <laughs> uh, if you have any email, email us. If you have any questions, concerns, uh, think cocktail recipes, anything you wish us to discuss on the show, uh, email at us at uh, cocktailpartycongress at gmail.com. Or if I you, we, I think we put a link in the description. Oh, yeah, we usually do. Or if you just want to let us know that you exist. <laughs> yes. Say hi. I exist. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Prove that you are not just a bot, a, a, a Russian bot operating out of St. Petersburg or or Krasnoyarsk, uh, <laughs> or telling us that sexy singles exist in our area. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I do not. I do not need. I, I do not need an extra three <laughs> inches. Thank you very much. Um, but. Uh, all right, that is uh, the rebirth of the Cocktail Party Congress. JT, thank you so much for a nice chat. Dan, always a pleasure. I enjoyed drinking this Tom Collins. I am, well, three of them uh, yeah, with you. So. It, it, same, and if it weren't for the... I'm noticing at the very end of this some very distinct licorice notes coming off of this gin. Not a fan. So Old Tom or London Dry or Don't Bother. Um... Just as my final thought, JT, in vino veritas. In vino veritas, Dan. The law may treat corporations as people, but they might be better thought of as countries. Tech giants sometimes do make enough money to compete with the gross domestic products of actual countries. Like in 2017... Amazon made $177.9 billion, which just edged out Qatar and Algeria's GDPs of around $173 billion. That year, Amazon would have been the 55th richest country. Economically, these businesses are akin to micronations, so how long will it be before they start branching out into other traditional state functions? Well... Right now, if you look to the headlines, the Department of Justice's Antitrust Division is looking into the likes of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. The details are sparse right now, but some of their recent moves raise my layperson eyebrow. First, Facebook is toying with the idea of creating its own internal currency, raising the issue over whether a corporation can coin and mint its own money. Not that cryptocurrencies are anything new or controversial, but Facebook's move harkens back to company stores and company towns where company-issued currency called Scrip was the only accepted money. But beside the point, one of the more interesting and underreported developments in tech's move to nationhood is Twitter's recent interest in creating its own legal system. You heard me right. 
Twitter has had a lot of recent drama around whether or when users violate its terms of service. It's deviously easy to report social media content that you don't like for trumped-up, imagined, or otherwise improper reasons. And whether such reporting is legitimate, there's often little recourse to truth-test these claims. And the lack of true feedback on the reasons for Twitter's decisions makes it all look arbitrary and capricious. So, Twitter has announced a fascinating solution. They want to institute a case law system. Over the last few months, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey has been on a bit of a navel-gazing press junket, struggling openly with how to preserve the platform's credibility in this polarized world. And as much as we fear that the courts are being warped and do knock-down, drag-out venues for political battles, Twitter is already a raging toxic dumpster fire in that regard. What little process there currently is for those who are aggrieved by others' social media posts is a poor fit for humanity's dark side, as we experience through um, internet platforms like Twitter. So the case law system is an interesting one to me. If you think about it, a court decision is really just a kind of an argument. Here is why this situation should turn out this way under this law this time. Judges need to convince the public and they need to convince other judges, and they need to convince future generations that this was the right decision. Bad lawyers and bad judges make bad law. And the process, at least in theory, selects for the best by only appointing or electing judges capable of making good arguments for good decisions. The case law system also goes to important policies like fairness and predictability. If a judge decides a situation one way, and then later on basically the same exact situation presents again, it is only fair that people should be able to look it up to predict that this time it should turn out like last time. So, if your tweet gets reported, at least some point in the future, there will be professionals who will decide whether it violates the terms of service on the merits, and then they will issue opinions explaining how and why it turned out that way. Now, this seems calculated to comfort most people, but I am not one of them. My overactive mind immediately sees plenty of problems with this. Like, who will do the deciding? Twitter employees or some independent authority? How will they be selected? How impartial will they have to be? Can we impeach or recall bad Twitter judges? We've barely figured out some of those questions out in the real legal system, if we even have at all. And then there are the things that we have figured out in the law that will need to be figured out in the Twitterverse. What standards of internet law will they use? Will we develop an internet common law where decisions beget decisions and legal principles coalesce around consistency? Or are we going to have to pass internet statutes defining what is or isn't a violation? And who exactly is going to do that? Maybe Twitter will just limit itself to adjudicating its terms of service under principles of contract law, but then again, whose principles? The ones that we made up over centuries in our English common law system? Or will Twitter just make stuff up? Will there be trials to decide facts? Maybe a jury of your peers, which on the internet actually sounds pretty terrifying if you think about it. Or with just a bench trial with the judge? Just settle it with brief writing or oral arguments? Maybe just have the parties Skype in and go at it. What about rules of evidence? Is a retweet admissible to show that a party approves of a quote-unquote problematic viewpoint, or is it more complicated than that? 
What about sharing a link to something unadorned by any added commentary? What inferences can a finder of fact fairly draw from that? Godwin's law might actually have to be codified to keep Hitler comparisons from flying like Messerschmitts. And once the trial courts are done with it, is there any appellate review for bad or inconsistent decisions? And if so, whose job will it be to pick those judges? Will we need an internet Supreme Court to review the reviewers? And if so, how do we keep it from becoming the same partisan morass that we have in meat space? Too many questions, Jack, but it is your company, and I can always back out of the contract and avoid the whole potential mess entirely. In fact, that might just be what I do. I'll just delete my Twitter handle, kick back, and watch this whole thing unfold from high ground. Although as mind-boggling as these problems seem, I get the sense that Jack Dorsey actually cares about solving them. For all of the self-righteousness that we've seen from Google, or the total lack of self-awareness that we've seen from the android who has replaced Mark Zuckerberg, Twitter's move at least seems to be in earnest. And if the best that we can hope for from Silicon Valley is something as complicated as it is well-meaning, then God bless him. As for me, I might just have to go to the Winchester, grab a pint, and wait for all of this to blow over. The Republic still stands.